0: Welcome back everyone to Web 3 weekly the most relatable and reliable crypto web 3 and technology podcast in the nation. In today's episode, I am lucky to be joined with Emily Herrick or otherwise known as Emily Loves crypto on Twitter. Emily is the co-founder of the foolproof app which is the best and safest way to trans transact inside of web 3. So the goal of today's episode is not only to learn more about Emily's story and how she got to where she is now, but also uh, everything behind the foolproof app, NYU should you be using it to transact inside of Web3. So, without further ado, I would like to welcome Emily onto the podcast. So what's going on, Emily? How's it going?
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, just a regular. <laughs> yeah,
0: same. Same here. Same here. Happy to be able to sit down. Happy to be able to uh, have this conversation. Just, I want to. I want to start more with kind of your journey I think uh the best way to kind of introduce someone to the podcast and introduce someone to a listener or, li- or introduce a listener to you it can just be to tell your story uh would you first kind of like to maybe tell your journey of how you got to where you are now uh
1: yeah you bet um so what's uh I guess a good place to start with me um I was born and raised in Silicon Valley uh, so growing up I I was always kind of confused about what my dad did or like what my friend's parents did because as a kid something like oh they're a fireman they're a doctor they're a lawyer right like that's something you can comprehend as like a kid um but for me i'd look around and you know my dad worked for oracle i was like what do you do i don't understand what you know what are you what do you you sit at a computer, and like sometimes stuff gets printed out, and you're frequently on the phone. Like, what is going on? Um, so it's it's always been around me, and even um, I even went to school in the same district as Steve Wozniak's kids, and he himself taught a very cool after school program just for girls um, at one of the middle schools, uh, teaching them how to code, which is pretty awesome um, because he had a daughter as well that was a couple grades ahead of me. So, um, you know this the culture of tech has always been deeply ingrained, uh, in my environment. Um, so I guess that's my, my origin, um, overall. So I, uh, graduated and went to college at UC Santa Cruz, which is still like, um, and I started with a degree in sociology and I got kicked out and decided it was, that and then i switched my major over to economics um and you know i I figured it was probably the most universally practical thing that i could get a degree in but i didn't really know what i was going to do with it um kind of went down that path uh and you know my more fascinating classes the ones that i was really really interested in were almost like a, a sociology economics hybrid Um, so I had this one teacher, John Robinson, who taught a class, um, God, I forget exactly what it was called, but it was basically about economies and what their strategies are. Um, and what, what's an effective, uh, deployment of capital is to improve their real grassroots problems. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of things, um, for these rural communities um, like in Africa. But what that really does is incentivize um, criminals to come and commit heinous crimes in these schools to take their textbooks because textbooks have a cash value, right? They can turn around, they can steal them and they can sell them. And there's just an enormous disregard for life. So like they'll come in and do, you know, horrific things just to take these textbooks and the intention was to improve education but it resulted in something awful so the solution to this one problem was to make flip charts because then there's only one per class and they're not really valued for anything it's just kind of a giant coloring book with that share it and like while you know kids individually don't have these textbooks they still have the materials required to learn um so i've always found those types of alternative solutions to the, the core of the problem that, you know, are not necessarily or um, intentionally creating a lot more chaos and a lot more destruction than, you know, the the good intention was meant to. Um, so that, that message is always really. So um, out of college, I started in tech. Um, I had had a couple of internships kind of related to marketing because I thought that was sounded interesting to me, like a creative um, input and, you know, doing kind of fun thing. you know, get get a message out. Um, and it just, you know, in the end, it just like wasn't actionable enough for me, I guess. There wasn't enough tangential results um, to motivate me. So I moved into product management. Um, and product management is really a practice in large tech companies where you're you're kind of the kingpin for the entire development process what i mean by that is um what a product manager does is they go and they kind of look around the the industry that you're in in the context of the company you're working at and the problems that company is trying to solve and they say you know here's uh here's a business problem here's a case that we have that there's no good solution for this use case Um, or this problem presents, you know, X hours of week of struggle, we think that we can solve 70% of it if we can come up with a solution that um, achieves these goals. And then you go and describe, you know, what the approach is going to be to that solution. And you work with um, a UI and a UX designer to make sure that, um, you know, they understand all of the reality that you're trying to support. And then you manage the dev process where you write all of these things down and deliver them to an engineer, um, metrics for yourself, where you, you measure the acceptance of it. And um, you work with customer success teams, you work with marketing, you work with sales to all, you know, them about this new functionality and what the benefit is of it and, you know, how you've solved this. And then you, um, you know, push it out of beta, push it into general acceptance and start the cycle again. So you, you're slowly constructing a very good fit for a product in a market. Um, and that's how you really become a, a market leader of that product, right? Like you have to have a very strategic approach because if you're using your development resources inefficiently, you're just going to cost Epic. Um, so that was my career path in web two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. don't know if you have any questions. No, on. no.
0: Um, I was going to ask, like, especially when I think uh, like where I am right now with like going through college and look at all these different majors, like, how did your economics degree kind of play into the eventual job you got once you graduated or did that, like, correlate whatsoever?
1: Yeah. A component of the product management role for a more advanced product manager. Like, this is not something an associate product manager do would do. This is-
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
1: More of like a head of product or a group product manager, or um, even sometimes a senior PM, depending on like the size of the organization. And um, um, yeah, this this role of product management, um, you you do this this job where you're really taking a mathematical approach to what you're doing, and you know there's there's some economic principles in there, but it's really just a matter of thinking about how what you're doing is going to the the micro economy of the business that you're in. Like, is this going to drive adoption? Um, are you gonna? Are you gonna solve a problem? that There's enormous demand for kind of these these basic principles, but there's also an interesting component of econometrics, um, uh, where you, for something that you know you don't understand, so it's kind of this this unknown factor, um, and you'll create a mathematical model that supports this unknown thing, um, and that unknown is a really important um, part. If your results will be statistically significant or impactful. And then like the size of the organization you're at, those numbers vary a lot, right? So like if you're at a 10 startup, your impact needs to be absolutely enormous because every single dollar in either direction is going to make or break your your runway for how long you have to gain adoption and gain market share. Um, but at a company at like Google, you know, making a 0.1 and how much uh, revenue they make. Like you are a significant player at that company um, with that result. So it just kind of varies. Um, and like your ability to predict the impact and you know how effective you can be at solving this problem is important. So like I didn't directly use much of my economics um, degree but I think just the ability to think through problems in that way is helpful. And also something that is recognized on resumes where they're like, oh, you know, maybe you don't have a um, computer science degree, you're not an engineer, um, which is a, a very typical path for a product manager. But you do understand this, um, you know, kind of hard line thinking of proving your results in a certain way and, um, you know, the of having actual data behind your research, um, things like that. So I guess, I guess that's kind of how it plays in the most.
0: Yeah, um, and especially when I, I can definitely see that just because, like, as long as you, like, are smart enough to get through school, especially with an economics degree, which is impressive, like, you're able to, like, take that knowledge onto a job and you can learn very quickly with what you have to do and kind of the day-to-day of that. But, like, at, at these startups, like, what, what's the vibe like? What, what's it like working at a startup, especially, like, a technology
1: startup? Yeah, so this is really um, interesting and like somewhat relevant, I think, to what's currently happening, um, because when Elon Musk took over Twitter, for example, and, you know, if anyone's involved in crypto or NFTs, you probably have a, a significant presence on Twitter, or at least you're scrolling that timeline um, for a, a portion of your day. Um, a lot of people were like, f- absolutely floored by the perks that were in the Twitter and what's ironic about that is that's what that's what attracts top quality talent um you know the live live here now is a very expensive place to live and a lot of people don't understand like how someone can make um you know a hundred thousand dollars straight out of college and be living like a college student still um but it's because you know rents are crazy expensive um because there is this Microeconomy in, you know, specifically these tech centers. Yeah, there was a lot of talk around, um, you know, Elon coming in and people being like, oh, the cafeteria staff is empty. But if you think about that, on the side of Twitter trying to incentivize their employees to come back to the office, there's a lot of reasons why you want to keep your employees in the office. Um, you know, for that, that didn't offer lunch. Um, you know on campus or like you know even like a, a tiny financial incentive to keep me at my desk working pays off hugely, right? Like the expected time frame to be in the office is something like nine to five, right? Like most meetings don't start till nine. People can kind of wander out five, but in there, um, you know, you'll take a lunch break and like, maybe you'll run down the street and get a sandwich or like, maybe you'll go out with your friend and like, hang out and chill. Cause you had like a long day. And like, then I took an hour and a half lunch or something, right. Or like I hit the gym or like whatever that is, there's a bunch of reasons to go elsewhere and just kind of like take a mental break. And the strategy that these larger companies deploy is, um, everything they can to keep you on campus. So if you've ever heard about like the Google campus, you can literally bring bags of laundry and dry cleaning. They have daycare for kids. You can get your haircut there. You can yeah. get like a massage there. They have gyms there. They have full-fledged cafeterias. They have all of these things to keep you at your desk. And also to reinforce the culture of the company where like, you know, they they have these constant um, messages Around where like it's it's almost like a moral race where it's like oh I'm here longer I'm better than you that means I'm going to get a promotion which is not true by the way um the people that work the most for free do not get the promotions why, why would I pay you more to do something you're already doing um but it's it's an it's an important thing to understand so I, I found that like I can't believe Twitter you know has all this fancy stuff and it's like well, Twitter must have that fancy stuff because that's how you attract attract, attract top talent the companies that don't offer that don't get the top talent and therefore cannot compete. Got
0: it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, especially if like you're not constantly like you're stuck in a bubble, but if you're constantly interacting with your coworkers, whether it's actually doing in, in a meeting, working on a project or just outside of that space, like you're still able to like build that connection and you're able to go back to actual work and it's going to be better because you already you know each other better. You're more comfortable with each other. And there's just a better connection there. So I can com- I completely I completely understand that. And I think it's it's obviously important to have like a good uh, life work balance, if that makes sense. But especially like, I can tell how these startups are trying to uh, kind of keep keep them on campus. Like you said, that's that's probably a really big it's really important for them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's ironic is, you know, companies will if you go look at the large companies, um, they kind of a marketing recruitment style where they're trying to attract top talent like this is this is a serious challenge for a lot of these companies, especially when the job market is tight right now, it's a little bit easier just because of the the state of the economy. Overall, a lot of people have been laid off. Um, you know, companies will contract to respond to uh, the, the demand for roles or like the demand for their products and like how much revenue they're generating. Um, which is, you know, good to note, but at, at the same time, like they, yeah, it's, it's crazy out there. <laughs> um, it's, it's bizarre it's it's an entirely different world that people don't expect right like this is not the culture at a construction company it's it's, especially to silicon valley and then like you'll see the other offices or like different headquarters and you're like this place is weak sauce like i want to go to my friends that has like you know a movie theater and nap pods and like you know whatever i want to eat at lunch uh you know they have like full um food courts right go get sushi, I'm gonna go get Italian food, I'm gonna go to the salad bar, like whatever that is, like they, they're, they're crazy. They're, they're really cool to be at. Um, It's absolutely fascinating, especially when they're making, you know, such large amounts of money. But it's, yeah, I don't know, it's different. Um, I myself never worked at one, a company quite that large. I worked at, I guess, some of the mid ones, but I started at a lot lower enjoyed the startup environment more. So like, you know, I like to get to a company when there's like 20 to 40 people. That's more fun for me. Um, because you can, you can make massive improvements and like really have a lot of autonomy and impact in the direction because, um, there's just so much going on that it's exciting and really cool. Those, those initial steps that you make as a product are really fun. Um, so, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time there. My brother worked at Google for like four years. Though, so oh wow I've always been,
0: well, I've well, always like, been around it what, what, what did he do at Google uh,
1: something about ad sales marketing something something I, I don't know it's it's one of those I jobs that it. like it's, google makes it's one of those it jobs though that like you know i I know he's doing a very niche function but to like expand on what that was I'd have to ask him directly. Yeah, told me before guess, my eyes kind of goes over because it's like not my <laughs> it's not my jam. I don't know. I'm
0: yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's the like the the allure and like kind of broad definition of startups. It's almost like the the goal of like the American dream almost like starting something small, creating it, then it blows up and it, it's very successful and everything like that. I think, I think startups are Kind of what makes us human what makes us American just because the freedom to build something the freedom to do stuff like that uh and startups are very good just because they're always like innovative did you ever work in any startups that maybe like had to do a like a funding round or anything like that
1: um I have what's been that what's, what's, of
0: what's it like being a part of a company that has like that has a venture capitalist that's funding like the project
1: Um, so for one they don't want to talk to any of the employees Um, they're only talking to people that have like very distinct data um, that they're interested in largely like customer acquisition or how much marketing spend is going somewhere and how efficient is your marketing spend um, and then sales projections they don't necessarily care what direction your product is going um, but I believe that's all culture of a venture capital firm as well there's some that are absolute micromanagers and there's some that are um, 100% hands-off and it's important to find a balance for a startup um, to get the right type of investment right like one startup may need a lot more um, of a symbiotic relationship from their investors where like they have really cool technology but the investor that they partnered with has the connections to the like um, you know their main target, so they're looking for a lot more active uh, participation from a VC. And some know exactly what they're doing and just need the capital to get going. So there's a big spectrum there. Um, I never, you know, as a startup employee, never really had a direct um with the investors. But I, I've I've been at companies that go through seed funding then series a all the way to series b and that process is uh kind of convoluted <laughs> but it it makes sense um once you once you understand it what's what I find really funny about that is just how gatekept that process is like that information is not easy to find online to digest um i don't know it's it's kind of it's kind of bizarre out there so yeah
0: yeah, yeah i think it's, it's also probably pretty cutthroat with if like the venture capital firm is like hey i'm giving you x amount of money you have to do what I'm telling you just because I'm I'm the funder. Like I kind of hold you by the balls, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, they but. exist. Um, they are not the people that you want uh, investing though. So like, I think VCs understand as well because, you know, anyone that started their own company obviously has a very strong desire to have a lot of autonomy. Um, and like, while yes, and you, you also need them to believe in you. Right, like they need to trust that you're uh, a person that can execute on the vision that you outlined, sold them on. So there's there's a balance to strike, and I think a lot of people, um, or a lot of VCs ultimately wouldn't be successful if that's what they were forcing, because companies don't want their money in the end, right? Like ultimately, they already gave you a share of their company. If you're going to try to take control that you don't know anything about, you're just good at investing. Then like why? you know, there's, there's a balance, there's a balance to strike. So, um, and every VC also has their own culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I, heard- I, I can definitely see that. I bet, I guess I'm reading, like, I'm reading the book called Good to Great right now. It's all about, like, leadership and how level five leaders kind of continue, uh, how, pretty much how, like, what makes a level five leader, my level five leaders are so, are so good. And it really uh, comes down to, the leader pretty much listening to the people around them and also helping those that are under him that if that makes sense
1: yeah i mean i've heard some leader never wants to be a leader in the first place um you know i think i think the best thing that a leader can really do take a mentorship approach where it's not just selfishly getting the value like squeezing all the value out of their employees but like really putting effort into developing the employees and making them better at their jobs and improving their skill set holistically, because while they can take that and go to another company, um, you're you know you're you're forming a relationship and a loyalty there, and as long as they feel that they can um, get better at their career path, then I think you're going to get a better employee, right? You've made a better employee. Um, for the time at your company they've gotten better at it and that they can deliver at a higher capacity and ultimately you know people that are on on their own path are going to move on but um you know i think having that culture at your company is really important and um you know having employees that have the ability to develop into is a good thing to have as well yeah so
0: yeah, and with the mentor mindset and the mentor, like be- being a mentor to the people below you, if you're like the, the CEO or the leader or whatever, it's important to, like, as you're mentoring them and helping them, you're creating your successor so the company continues on when you're not there. I think that's very important because I think a lot of people that are in high up positions are like, oh, I don't care when I'm done. Like, I'm just going to leave and retire and go to my house in Palm Beach. But I think it's important if you want the company to continue to and improve and continue to have like good employees and good products, you have to like build your mentor and build your successor as you are the leader at that. Like if you if you know i yeah, that. yeah, a
1: thousand percent. And I personally am a establishing company culture, not that I've like done a great job at you know, my startup yet, but there's only a handful of us. So like we have a, a pretty close relationship as is. Um, but like, as you get bigger, you know, maintaining that that feeling of trust and openness and respect and, you know, an environment that fosters learning and creative development and um, values top producers and, uh, you know, praises them and rewards them, That's how you create that success ladder for individuals as well as, you know, your company, yourself. Um, And, you know, that kind of takes us back to what do where, you know, you feel valued because they're providing you, you know, this high pay or this autonomy or these cool perks or whatever that is. Like it does instill a sense of value Um, showing up to a gray office with a cubicle uh, that, you know, abuses your lunch hour and doesn't even provide you coffee is like not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Like you're literally slaving for a paycheck at that point. Uh, and people don't like it, right? Like, the top performers don't work. There. Really low-tier performers mm-hmm. work there. Mm-hmm. People that need jobs, need the paycheck, end up working there. And that's it's just not top talent, typically.
0: Yeah. Like, with this market now, it's like the people that are looking for jobs kind of have a leg up of where they want to work. Uh, companies are sometimes more desperate for workers so they have to treat their employees right they have to treat them good they have to pay well just because there's so much competitiveness with who's going to get the right employees to where there's an increase which is good it's almost like a increase in human rights if that if that makes sense like it ends to put it like in a very uh, broad term just like they continue to be treated well and that's what's going to happen like if you want a good product you have to treat the people that are doing making the product and creating the product well for it to work it kind of sounds like me, like like something simple to say it's like duh but I, I don't I don't think enough people know that if that makes
1: sense I, I mean ab- absolutely it's it's kind of crazy so it's the, the, I guess it's really an art, right? And like a balancing act of, you know, wh- because all of that stuff costs money too, right? And you're making a sacrifice at some point of productivity um with investment in development like and even if I'm not directly producing right now maybe this effort is going to make me more efficient so I as an individual gain a better work-life balance because I'm still completing the tasks and the workload that I have but I have a little more time with my family or to like exercise or do something I enjoy as a hobby
0: yeah exactly like more time off better benefits stuff like that but I, I think that that's very important and like as uh people are continuing to look for jobs I think that's something that's very important to look for not just the salary not just what your work requirements are going to be but are you going to be able to actually spend time with your family are you going to be able to enjoy your life Uh, that's that's very very important but I guess we can we can kind of pivot back to uh the structure in the in the topic at hand so I want to know like more about your economics degree and stuff so obviously going through college you were studying economics after sociology didn't go the way you planned uh like when you first heard of like maybe crypto or bitcoin with that economics degree like were you a bit skeptical at first or how did that kind of all play in together
1: so skeptic so infinitely skeptical because when i first heard about crypto it was probably like in 2012 ish like i look at it and i'm like this is this is literally nothing this doesn't make any sense like this is a a, a note on a ledger on the why do people value this? It did not click for me at all. Um, and I'm I'm impressed by anybody that it made sense for early on because it was, I mean, not like an enormously expensive leap of faith at that time, but it was a lot of effort to get like you had to do a deep dive to figure out how to get into it. There is no centralized resources, there is no real discussion on it that surfaced you could get some news articles here and there but they were also of a very skeptical position and um you know from from my side uh with like my economics degree I look at it and I'm like well I don't understand what the point is if there's nothing to spend it on money Mm -mm. so so what I don't I can't use it and if I can't use it why do I have it um which is like Place to come from, but at the same time, like I just am a skeptic. So um I don't know. My brother, I guess, like kind of hilariously, uh had spent two Bitcoin on drugs for Burning Man in like 2014. <laughs> um, and he like bought them on the Silk Road and like just like the most typical shit you've ever heard of. Um, and like now he's like, you know, still mournful about it and like he probably transacted a ton of cryptocurrency um in like the not secure ways and I remember at one point he got kicked off of Venmo and Apple Pay for doing cryptocurrency transactions and I like in retrospect I'm like you idiot what are you doing like that's not even how you transact crypto like what is wrong with you um yeah so like that you know I kind of had this And then, like, a bunch of my husband's friends got into it in that, like, 2017, 2018 bull run and, like, made a good amount of money. Like, one of them has crypto money and, like, got a Rolex from it. And another one made a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then one of them took every penny that they had and put it all into Bitcoin. And now he's literally, like, a Bitcoin multimillionaire. Um, Oh, my God. Like over yeah um which is kind of funny because like he took everything he drained his 401k he sold his house he sold his car everything and put it into bitcoin um oh my god yeah so like you know there's there's people like that um he's outside of our friends or he's like one of the friends cousins that like some of the friends go hunting with sometimes <laughs> like, I on, like on LinkedIn um, when
0: you have like a third connection <laughs> Yeah, but
1: he's, like, not even on LinkedIn. He never was. He, like, I, I don't even remember what he was doing beforehand, but now he doesn't do shit. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always kind of, like, been around me, and I didn't really get interested in it until I got, like, super bored at my last corporate job, um, where, effectively, like, I was, again, um, in product management. I was head of product this time for content and data management. very secretive about my team. Uh, my engineering team, and they wouldn't—they wouldn't expose any of the infrastructure, to me, any of the admin tools to me. Like I—I I was literally in like a weird dark silo, and I was constantly complaining about it. Um, so I was bored all the time there wasn't a way for me to understand what was going on. There was like very weak documentation and I like tried a documentation effort and then I would like deliver requirements. And they'd be like, Oh, this doesn't work. And I'm like, well, how can I tell you what's going to work? If I don't even understand the system works because one, you can't tell me two, there's no documentation and three, you won't let me in to poke around to figure it out. Right. So I just had like weird kind of loose thoughts on like the direction that I thought the product needed to go and they would deliver something that the use case and like it was just a very bad organization that was like at the end of 2019 ish like right before at that point i started listening to podcasts and i was like okay what is the blockchain and tried to learn about it and i like got into coinbase um and was doing the coinbase tutorials um and like they didn't make sense to me and like all of it was just kind of like weird to me like i didn't get what was going on but i into ETH and Bitcoin. I think ETH was at like $600 and Bitcoin was at like 17000 ish ish um, Which, you know, from there, basically forexed. Um, and ETH, you know, close to, you know, right? From, from those, those prices. So um, it was uh, like right at the start of all of that excitement coming through, um, which was really fun to watch, but also creates, um, from a naive perspective, this weird, uh, kind of adrenaline rush where like, you, you know, you think you're on top of the world go wrong. Um, so I started there and, um, yeah, gone into a, a discord server. It was like the first don't you know, what discord was, I'm not a gamer. they bore me to tears. Um, the discord server that I joined though was, um, uh, because I was bored and I was like, well, I'll just like, you know, shuffle some money around over here i'd been into stock trading since i was like 18 and like had a trade account ever since and all of that um so you know people were kind of day trading there and i was like huh how do i do this and like poking around technical analysis which like also me to tears i'm like a lot bigger fan of fundamental analysis and like product development because that makes sense to me and like looking at charts and drawing lines that can go this way could go that way i just think is i don't know it's kind of like tarot cards for frat boys if you know what i mean um So I was uh, doing that and one of the channels was a crypto channel um, talking about all these shit coins basically and all these DeFi farming pools and staking rewards with like insane APRs. And I think the one that ultimately got me um, into DeFi or like, um, I guess, self-custody wallets was a salon um farming protocol called radium and radium had um it it was basically like a farm aggregator and the way on a DeFi for a while was that they were trying to get very large liquidity pools Um, and if you don't know what a liquidity pool is it's a component of an automated market maker so if you think of like the stock trading like if you think of the new york stock exchange floor with a bunch of people running around it's in the air for orders, trying to find a friend to match with, to buy whatever they're selling at that price. The automated market maker is that same function, but for crypto. So they build that in programmatically. And in order to make that function happen, you need what's called a liquidity pool. And the liquidity pool is um, basically how deep is the water for you to swim across and make your trade. And are you going to make a lot of waves when you go from side A to B because the water is very, very shallow and it's going to get super choppy? Or is the water super deep and your little trade isn't going to be very impactful? Or if you're a cruise ship going across you know, a mid-sized pond, then you're going to make a huge impact, um, you know, whatever direction you're going. So that's basically what this liquidity pool is. is um, Solana tokens were trying to get very large liquidity pools to make less impactful trades. And this is when I got into FTX because what we had figured out very early on in this um, stock trading discord's crypto channel is that um, FTX was the only tool at the time that it was very easy to short things on and we were doing um shorts left and right um, because it was a stock trading discord we're offering something like three hundred thousand percent apr for staking people are going to go in maximize their staking rewards all of the early adopters and whales are going to exit and when they exit it's going to tank the price so you could pick these super high apr pools and then you could go on um, FTX, if this high APR token was adopted on FTX and you could short the absolute pants off this token and make a lot of money. So I started off in the EPR pools themselves because like, that's basically too good to be true. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back this up. Um, I want to place the bet. I don't want to be the exit liquidity. So, um, that's what we were doing. Uh, you know, I like honestly had sent a lot of money through FTX and had a bunch sitting on at certain points in time that I am so relieved that I didn't get my head chopped off effectively like everybody else did in there with, you know, all that happened. But that was how I started in self-custody and in um, DeFi. So um, the coins and understanding how these like automated market makers work and these like farming protocols, staking pools, uh, liquidity pools, all of that. Um, And then token came up. Um, and you know, please stop me if you have any questions. Um, but then this token came up that got like a lot of meme attention in our stock trading discord, um, called come rocket. And I think the first time we heard about it, we just thought it was really funny. And someone's like friend had told them about it and we were like, ha ha that. And then, um, it absolutely mooned because Bill Maher caught on and Bill Maher had um, talked about it on his show and he was like coins come rocket and like made a big joke about it. Um and it it literally fucking mooned. I think it had gone from like point oh oh twenty two cents, which is like insanity. Um and then it kind of came back down to earth. I think it was something around three or four cents for like quite a while. Um than it was. Um and then Elon Musk made two tweets about it. He had made that joke, um, Canada United. Mexico on the map or whatever, and it spells out "come," ha ha ha. Um, And then maybe maybe a couple days after that, he had tweeted emojis um, like the spray water emoji, and then rocket, and then like a you know hyphen arrow um, two, and then he like a moon, so it was like rocket to the moon, and that absolutely mooned the token. I think it got up to like twenty eight cents ish crazy wild ride um so i had in there i had learned how to trade um on these right like on pancake swap in that case um and the i had like bought like a significant bag of it at some ride and like not really sold anything but it it was a fun token because it had a transaction tax and part of the transaction tax um went to what's called reflect. So, uh, every time that there was a trade made, the coin went from wallet to wallet or went through the automated market maker um, exchange, whatever, um, 2.5% of the token was burned. So, it was a decreasing supply. And then 2.5% of the token was redistributed to all holders proportionately. So, when there was super high volume, that's called reflections. And so, when there was super high volume, your bag was absolutely growing. I'm pretty sure um, for like the, I don't know, no less than you probably like nine months that I was like a part of that tokens community um I had made something like 40 overall just from my reflections like my bags had gone up a lot um so yeah uh what's interesting about that token in general is that it's very good for um sex workers uh especially online sex workers um if you have deposits coming from only large banking institutions will literally just block your access to your assets and make it very difficult to get your money it's really fucked up because it's your money. Um, and like ultimately sex work is very challenging, emotionally draining work. Like um, and a lot of people think it's laughable, but you know, people are putting their lives on the line, their emotional state on the line um, to this niche that has literally never gone away in the entire course of humanity um, and is lucrative if you're good at it. Uh, it takes an entire small business skill set, right? Like you're marketing, you're producing content, you're interacting with people, you're managing the books. Um, there's like a lot of stuff going on there for an individual, especially to be largely successful and make a lot of money. Like they, these girls are very, very sharp. Um, it especially. Um, and, you know, everyone kind of has their preference of what they'd rather do, but, um you know, oh, I like making content more. Oh, I would rather, you know, I'm really good at the marketing and like make less content, but it doesn't matter because I'm really good at marketing, right? They have all these niches. So um they decided um, to make the first NFT marketplace. And that was part of kind of the moon process in there and started selling these NFTs um, because originally it, it was intended to be like theory, originally was a meme coin and then it became kind of a tipping currency where it's like oh i can like send you cummies um as a tip for your content and like that's fun and you can do all of that through discord discord has like um cryptocurrency bots that you can connect your wallet to and make deposits on um so the discord was non-stop um and there was a lot of sex workers in there and they had released this Uh, marketplace and they were like getting some really big point stars on there to release these, you know, NFTs, um, which are literally the first adult content NFTs out there. I think one day they're going to be highly, highly collectible. Okay. Like let's make an OnlyFans competitor because at that time, OnlyFans had announced that they were um, going to discontinue adult content, which, um, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever their business choice was huge opportunity though. So they decided that they needed to make a um NFT marketplace for the users um and then fill the niche that um these platforms did um but the the big draw of OnlyFans and why I made so much money um a lot of people will be like oh I don't need to pay for porn porn's free on the internet um but what it solved especially during the pandemic which is when it like absolutely boomed um is this emotional connection right like I can have yeah. a conversation Yeah. I, um,
0: Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I was listening to the Ice Coffee Hour, and they were—it's like a kind of like a finance podcast—and they were interviewing someone who was making like fifty grand a month off of OnlyFans, and she was explaining like how many guys, especially during COVID, would just like talk and like that's why they subscribed to her like OnlyFans was just to like interact with her, and it wasn't even like a part of the like porn part of OnlyFans. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah. And I won't be the first one to tell you that's a very 50 K a month is like not that hard to make if you're really good at making content. And it's not, like I said, super draining, very, uh, it just kind of exhaust like taxing from a business perspective. Um, And it like takes a lot of work uh, and like, you have to, you have to be good at it for sure. But like a girl that I go to the gym with um, had like a decent size, Uh, Instagram and TikTok following and she's like I'm just gonna make an OnlyFans and like put some you know topless pics up there like nothing else just topless pics and the first month did it she made $25,000 wow which is funny because like professional weightlifters are notorious broke AF like they make zero money Um, and like you know she has like a physique right she's very very fit and like muscular um, and like even like a unique looking face like um, not and not kind of that like traditional beautiful face if you kn- i don't know um like i th- i think she's a beautiful girl but like not the not your not your typical model on the page that everyone's like oh yeah like that's what i want right so they've absolutely niche and unique and still made enormous amounts of money and can she's like toned her stuff way back cuz she's like i don't even need to put topless on there i'm just going to like show myself in a bra and like makes buckets um yeah so they launched this marketplace um and they they wanted to launch like this niche um site where it was like kind of a hybrid between only fans and an nft marketplace and they dropped the beta version of it and i saw it and i was absolutely horrified like the entire thing that went through i was like oh my god you clearly don't have a firm grip on development which is you know as we talked about my background um and like to me i think I was like, wow, this is obviously a gigantic piece of garbage. Um, please let me on. I have large bags. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of went my way onto the team where I was like, you do not know what you're doing. And I pulled in a bunch of um, people that I used to work with, um, like designers and like really and like all of this. Um, and at the same time, the founder of the token had like, Someone had like kind of secretly contacted her and they were like developing in the background, but they turned out to be like super, super, super shady. Um, ultimately, I just like couldn't have the impact there that I would expect to being like a team of four. Um, so I left uh, and I, I don't really know what they're doing right now, but um, yeah, and kind of continued on my own crypto journey. Um, Last Christmas, me and some of my friends from like a dev group that I'm in had launched a um, project where we were airdropping unburnable coal NFTs into scammers' wallets, and then we evolved that one into kind of a, a small paid service on Polygon where you could combine images with text. So it was like an NFT greeting card, and then you could send it. And then we built like a bot um, because they were Polygon NFTs; they were automatically getting hidden. Uh, so we made like a bot where you could like tweet at somebody's username um and see who it was from and then had a direct link to that hidden folder on their account and like i don't know one of my one of the team members um kind of went off to write a book and was hard to contact and then another one was just kind of like wanting to do something bigger and like out of line and then the artist i I don't know whatever you know the the things just kind of fall apart especially if you don't (laughs) get but, like, that was a fun little tool that we made, right? Um, yeah,
0: it, think- it definitely shows that you have a lot of expertise in this field, especially with, like, coding and using the blockchain, uh, like, usefully and creating a good product. And, like, being yeah. on that side of being able to fill, like, a scammer's wallet with the cold NFTs and stuff, did that kind of make you realize how unsafe, uh, like, Web3 can be, especially with transactions?
1: Well, we had always known that, right? Like that was always kind of the joke. And it's like the ever present thing. You're just kind of like waiting for the next enormous scam to hit the timeline, get scammed left and right. And people don't really like to talk about it. And if you don't have a large following, it doesn't get that much traction. Or if you're not a whale, it doesn't get that much traction, right? Like it's a lot more shocking to watch a million dollars get drained out of someone's wallet than like $2,000 that someone had grinded for like months on and then the flipping for. And like, you know, a lot of people think it's, but that's, significant to a lot of people, especially outside of America. Right. So, um, you know, we always knew it was the ever present threat. And, um, a lot of my expertise in product management had actually come from, um, security, um, user management specifically. Um, so there was like a very obvious parallel, um, when I finally wrapped my head around like what the blockchain truly is and the tech stack, um, that you can build on and this enormous platform. So, um, Back to this like dev group that I'd found those friends in, I had I'd taken a full time job in Web3 web, web three, um, for a couple of months and like I it at all. Um, and I had like also tried kind of my own project, but had like endless, absolutely endless bad luck with everyone that I had tried partnering with. I had probably put about $15,000 into it at that point and like could not get anybody to deliver, to make it work, to not lie about their skill set, like all these. Um, so ultimately, like last June, my partner, my now partner contacted me and he was like, I solved this scammer problem. And I was like, how in the fuck did you solve this? Absolutely. evaded everybody forever. Um, And that's kind of how we got to foolproof. Um, So, you know, he came up with this first solution and I was like, that is really cool. Let's deliver it. And then he had come up with another solution that like literally stopped these social engineering scams. And I was like, I believe you did that. So we spent the summer... Um, working with a patent attorney and getting all of that content kind of written down, um, I think largely to uh, kind of placate ourselves and like get that sense of satisfaction. And, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, my partner, maybe I mentioned this earlier, maybe it was someone else. um, He's actually the inventor of the low gas smart contract. Um, He's like Squeebo NFT on Twitter. Um, And then it was stolen. And uh, the person that he had written it for took all the credit um and gave him literally none which is like like if you invent something cool as an engineer like all you really want is someone to say wow like you did something really cool good job and he just like took it all for himself zero effort or ability to execute something at that scale um that's really innovative and cool again so that sucked um so like we kind of went through the patent application which was really useful for us because we found a absolutely critical flaw in our architecture um, where had a vulnerability so it allowed us to find that vulnerability and rebuild and that kind of set us back Um, but you know here we are delivering our first product which is the shadow token which is now available for general acceptance and we've deployed it on um, Violetta Zeroni's NFT music project uh, which is really great fit for musicians in general because they do a lot of token gating for utility, right? It's like, oh, you get special roles in Discord, but you also get um, you know, a final claim and posters. And then you also get access to Zoom concerts online. And then you also get unlimited access to any concert that she's ever gonna put on in the future. And like all of these cool things um, associated in there um, that use a lot of token gates. And you know, token gates are a great way to deliver value, but they're also a deal. So that's kind of how the shadow token comes in. Uh, because it creates a way to separate the utility from the asset i can take my shadow token which is automatically um, assigned to the owner of the original NFTs wallet and the, that owner can then send it out to their burner and use all the utility they want without ever compromising the security of their actual valuable assets and you can't steal a shadow token and you can't sell the shadow token it automatically goes to the new owner, um, because the shadow token itself is constantly looking for its new owner and you know we're putting that on this security dashboard that we're delivering so it's kind of like a very long journey of mine and how we got to where we are today um we have a bunch of other patents that are pending as that shadow token that we're going to deliver um but that's kind of i don't know we're kind of at like the end of our our time so we can talk about that more another time i guess yeah
0: yeah i i I definitely um the the conversation so far has been awesome so we might we might have to do a a part two or something soon but kind of I guess to wrap it up not really though I, I want to know like especially for like the audience members that might be first getting into web 3 first getting an introduction to everything why is security and being safe in this world so important
1: yeah okay. um, and what's funny is if you talk to someone who doesn't know much about crypto they're going to be like I thought it's secure by nature isn't that the point and while you That is true. The problem is there's a very terrible user experience um, in crypto right now because it's, you know, I don't really give a fuck because it makes sense to them and it doesn't need to make sense to anybody else. Um, Until you have someone like me who comes in and is like, not good. So um, most scams that take place are the result of social engineering Uh, Where they'll go in and they'll um, kind of elicit a panicked response from you, known as FOMO amongst us um, fear of missing out. So they'll be like, oh, you're going to miss out on generational wealth if you don't come to our website right now and mint this NFT. Um, But like you'll connect your website, you'll connect your wallet. And like, sometimes they literally just take your money and deliver nothing in return. That's the absolute easiest thing to do. And then you just gave them crypto and got nothing back and like expected something back or like you'll mint an NFT and it's never going to reveal. So they only made sample art and nothing else. And then just like ran off um, or they um, will write a smart contract that you sign and it's actually just going to drain your wallet. Um, like there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, you know, they connect to you know revoke.cache which is supposed to be a security tool but they'll send you to a different url and it'll look just like it because revoke.cache is like the worst user experience I've ever seen in my life um and it's very easy to replicate there's even a tool that makes it super easy to replicate an entire front end it will literally just download it and then you can it's identical Um, and I use it all the time to make like small modifications or like take a component from a website that I like because I'm not an engineer but I can like and paste I can like, you know, make a collage of a program. Um, So, you know, they'll, they'll do something like that. Um, But yeah, that's all social engineering, largely exploiting the terrible user experience where I'm prompted to sign a transaction, but I don't know what's going to happen as a result. Um, And there's a couple of tools, but they're mostly web two based, which is a problem because web two is relying on a single uh, point of management. Right? It's going to serve you something and then you consume it. But very core to the architecture of is self-custody and the ability for me to protect myself. I make decisions that impact myself directly. There's nobody to go to to revert it. That's not how it works. So we provide tools um, for you as a user to make your experience better.
0: Got it. I know. I, uh, that's another reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, not only just because you're You've been in so many fields, so many startups, and you kind of have your knowledge is like all covering in this space. But especially with safety in uh, this podcast being kind of intro and beginner focused, uh, always harping on being safe, uh, whatever you're doing with your wallet, whatever transactions you're trying to make, is something I will always uh, continue to harp on. Something that's very very important so emily i want to i want to thank you again for coming on the show today kind of talking about your journey and uh the fun the fun with startups the fun with crypto and what you're doing right now web3 and kind of continuing to push the message of being safe and if, if if anyone that's listening right now hasn't go check out the foolproof app uh it's very helpful. It's going to keep you safe on your ventures inside of Web3 as long as you learn, transact, and probably mint NFTs and stuff like that. It'll keep you safe. So uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of going to be it for me. Emily, is there anything else you like let the audience know before we head out here, maybe where they can find you, where they can locate the full proof app?
1: Yeah. Um, right now, the only thing that's available uh, app wise is the shadow token. Um, and if you have a shadow token deployed, for your projects. Like you can either get that from our sandbox collection, which is called like pumpkin spices or pea spices on Twitter. Um, and you can find me there and things um, from Emily loves crypto, which is L-U-V-S. Um, so I'm Emily loves crypto on Twitter. And I'm linked to all of that. And pumpkin think spices is our beta project. So you can go and get access to all the features as they come out. Um, if you just want to check out, you know, foolprooflabs.io or dashboard, uh It's dashboard.foolprooflabs.io to get to the shadow token dashboard. That's where the major improvements um very soon. Um and then you know if you want to deploy the shadow token for your project and shift your token gates, um, you just do that very easily from foolprooflabs.io slash deploy. You literally just enter the original contract address, click deploy, it costs like 0.01 ETH. It's nothing. And um, now have a basically free utility for your entire NFT community. So yeah, um thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate uh, you know, you taking the time and wanting to educate your listeners on what we've got going on and, you know, find out a little bit more about my, my journey, which is always fun. <laughs> um it's been a wild one, but I'm hoping that this is uh really the the make it because we've worked super hard on so much stuff that just hasn't, you know, panned out and we're finally doing what we want to do and, you know, we think it's got a really good chance. So, um, you know, we're hoping to add some some adoption of crypto, especially self-custody, especially in the wake of like FTX and 3AC and Voyager and all of those awful exchanges that are decentralized and have nothing to do with crypto except that they're leveraging crypto. Um, yeah, so... That's that's about it, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, awesome. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with anything with, with anything and everything you're creating, whether that be in your personal life or even in business with uh, the foolproof app. But I will say maybe as it continues to build and can, continues to get bigger, Uh, Maybe I can have you on the podcast again. You can kind of give us some updates. I think not only I would enjoy that, but the listeners would as well. So if anyone is listening today, go check out Emily. Go check out the Foolproof app. I'll have all the links in in the description for uh, easy access. And if you want to support the podcast here, feel free to follow us on our social medias. It's Web3 Weekly Pod on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, uh, and everything like that. And if you want to share this episode with a friend, it would be amazing that really that's really how we grow here uh it really kind of changes the game with uh kind of growing the podcast and getting more people to listen and getting more people to learn how to stay safe and if you want to give us five stars on spotify or any other listening platform it'd be very useful and very helpful so yeah with that out of the way emily thank you again i wish you the best of luck and wish you a great rest of your day and anyone listening i wish you the same and have a good one guys
1: yeah stay secure Thank you.